Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 134 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm going to start this podcast by apologising to all my regular listeners, those people who um, have subscribed and get the downloads automatically, because I did miss the podcast two weeks ago. Um, so it means it's been almost a month since the last podcast. So I must apologise for that. I have tried to be really consistent and keep it up, but I had two weeks off work or away from the office, should I say, at home with my children for half term. So I did try, but I was trying to also trying to do lots of client work and get things sorted before I went on holiday. And then the time just ran away with me. And anyone who's got two small children will know when they're at home for half term, it's very hard to do anything else. And then when it gets to the evening, when they finally go to sleep, I was just too tired. So I do apologise, but I am back now and I am planning on getting ahead of the game. So I'll be recording a couple of episodes at a time so that we don't have any more breaks. Um, Even if I have to have a break myself, the podcast will go on. But this week, hopefully you'll enjoy it. The content is um, a good case, a really interesting case, I think, that you'll hopefully enjoy listening about. Before I get into this week's featured content, I have a shameless plug and I just need your help with it really. Um, We do have a YouTube channel for my legal practice, uh, Real Employment or Advice, and you can find that on YouTube and just search Real Employment or Advice and you'll find some videos there. At the moment, there are only a few videos because I've been concentrating on the podcast, but there will be more to come and we kind of focus on some different things there. So if you want to go over and have a look and if you uh, can subscribe, that'd be great. Currently we have 12 subscribers. So if we can do that, then we'll start creating more content in the new year. Um, And obviously, if you've got any comments, questions or anything you want covered, either in the podcast or in a video, then do let me know. You can always get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. So after that, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. Now, I did say I had an interesting case to talk to you about. And this one isn't about UK law, but it is about European law, which is currently applicable in the UK and is likely to remain so. And because it's a case from Italy, I'm afraid I cannot pronounce the um, party's names. The individual involved is called NH, uh, so their name actually isn't given. I can't find it anywhere in the uh, details online. And the party who brought the claim, I'm not even going to attempt to uh, say, but the... (laughs) (laughs) which isn't very helpful is it when you're trying to um, explain about it what I will do is I will obviously put the name in the show notes on the website and online so you can find those and I will also put a link to the case and the judgment so you can find all the details yourself now the claimant in this case is actually an association of lawyers I think in Italian it's association that's terrible. Um, But it's an association of lawyers, uh, which has the aim of 
It says contributing to the development and dissemination of the culture and respect for the rights of LGBTI persons and to create a network of lawyers to offer judicial protection to LGBTI persons and to take representative action on their behalf before national and international jurisdictions. So that's exactly what this association of lawyers did. They brought a claim against NH in the Italian courts. Now, the reason that they brought a claim against NH is that NH is a senior lawyer uh, for an Italian firm and he made a remark on Italian radio basically saying he would never recruit a homosexual to his law firm and that he wouldn't associate with somebody who uh, was homosexual. And as you can imagine, this caused quite a bit of uproar and so the association in Italy for LGBTI lawyers brought proceedings against NH alleging discrimination seeking remedies including a retraction and action to eliminate discrimination. Now within the Italian courts they won their claim at the first instance and it was then appealed which was upheld and they were awarded 10,000 euros in damages. It then went to the Supreme Court in Italy, who then referred it to the European Court of Justice. And they then had to decide uh, whether the relevant directive was applicable in this case, and also whether uh, the association could bring a claim against NH. So that's what I'm going to talk about, the judgment from the European Courts. So you might be thinking, well, that's great, Alison. It sounds all very interesting. It's all to do with Italy and the courts of justice of the European Union. What's it got to do with us here in the UK? Well, aside from being an interesting case, the case refers to the Equal Treatment Framework Directive 2000-78-EC, if you're interested. And this covers protected characteristics of age, disability, religion or belief and sexual orientation. And... We in the UK are bound by these directives and much of which is incorporated into our law by the Equality Act. Now, courts and tribunals are obliged to interpret the Equality Act in line with these EU directives as far as possible. And if, as in the Italian case, a party argues that the Equality Act uh, is incompatible with those directives or that the directives apply, then it would go to the Court of Justice of the European Union to make a decision. So the decision is applicable um, and is likely to be followed by courts and tribunals in this country. And regardless of Brexit, that's they're likely to continue in terms of, in my view, courts and tribunals looking to decisions on how to interpret those rules. So let's get into a bit of the information and facts of the case. Well, The facts, as I say, are fairly straightforward in that there was no doubt that NH had said these things on a radio station. There was a record of it. He couldn't deny it and didn't seek to defend it as far as I can see in any way. Um, He didn't say that he was joking or that it was taken out of context or anything like that. What he did argue, however, was that his comments did not constitute discrimination in relation to employment and that they were said in his personal capacity as a simple citizen, not as a professional, and that there was no victim here. There was no victim that could be identified. 
the firm that he worked for were not undertaking any recruitment at the time and there was no evidence or anything submitted to say that NH had any way prevented anybody from getting employment with his firm or had been put off from applying. What the association was saying was that basically because of his position within the organisation and the mere fact of what he was saying, it would put off people from applying. So what the court had to decide was whether there had been discrimination under the directive by his comments and whether the association could bring a claim against him, even though there wasn't any uh, victim, if you like, or identifiable victim. So one of the key things that the court considered was whether under the directive, what NH had said would fall within the scope of access to employment. And the, the provision states that discrimination must be avoided in respect of selection criteria, recruitment conditions and promotion. It does not, however, define what is meant by access to employment. One of the key things that the court had to consider was whether this was a case which covered access to employment under Article 31A of the directive. And what they concluded was that the term access is defined as the means or opportunity to approach or enter a place. And when it comes to access to employment, it also encompasses the conditions, criteria, means and way to get employed work. So if an employer chooses not to hire certain persons because of their perceived or otherwise sexual orientation, they establish a negative or discriminatory selection criteria for employment. And access to employment and professional development are fundamental and of fundamental significance for every individual. And in summary, that NH's comments would prevent somebody who was from the LGBTI community from accessing employment with his law firm. They made reference to another case called Ferron, um, which was where a company director made public statements that his undertaking was looking to recruit door fitters, but that it could not employ immigrants because its customers were reluctant to give them access to their private residence. In that case, the court held that the statements by which the employer publicly lets it be known that under its recruitment policy it will not recruit any employees of a certain ethnic or racial origin may constitute facts of such a nature as to give rise to a presumption of discriminatory recruitment policy. So that seemed very similar to this case and with NH. However, clearly in NH's case, he wasn't looking to recruit at the time. They also referred to another case involving a professional footballer where the shareholder in FC, I'm going to say this wrong, Stauer, S-T-A-U-A, stated during an interview concerning the potential transfer of a professional footballer that he would not accept a homosexual in the team. And having regard to both of those cases, the court concluded the fact that the employer may not have started any negotiations or recruitment process were irrelevant. And it was sufficient that given NHS status and capacity within the organisation and the nature and the content of his statements, that it would be considered to be discrimination. The second question that they were referred to, you'll recall, was whether the Association of Lawyers could bring a claim particularly given the fact that there was no individual identified who had been the subject of the discriminatory treatment. And I'm going to read you here from the judgment because I think it, it does make sense to do so. Um, but basically, 
what they said was Article 9 of the directive reaffirms the fundamental right to an effective remedy and provides that member states must ensure that all persons who consider themselves wronged by discrimination are able to assert their rights. That provision introduces the right to enforce rights under the directive, not only for all persons who consider themselves wronged, but also, in accordance with Article 9.2, for associations with a legitimate interest which may engage either on behalf or in support of the complainant with his or her approval in any judicial or administrative procedure. That wording does not, however, mean that associations are necessarily precluded from acting in the absence of an identifiable complainant. It would be difficult to achieve the directive's objective of fostering conditions for the full participation of citizens in economic, cultural and social life if the directive only bit where an unsuccessful candidate for a post considering themselves to be a victim, brought legal proceedings against the employer. So in essence, what they're saying is you don't need to have an identifiable person. You don't have to have someone who applies for the job and is unsuccessful in order to make a claim under the directive. It was sufficient for NH to make those discriminatory comments in his position and for the association to pursue the claim. And clearly it was within their aims and objectives to try to promote the rights of LGBTI lawyers uh, in Italy. So to conclude the case, of course, the court cannot apply a remedy or a final conclusion on the case. It goes back to the Supreme Court of Italy. But what they said to the Supreme Court is they would reply to the questions referred by the court as follows. Remarks made by an interviewee during a radio programme stating he would never hire a homosexual person to work in his law firm nor wish to use the services of such persons are capable of falling within the scope of the directive which establishes a framework for equal treatment in employment and occupation as being likely to hinder access to employment. When those statements are not made in the context of a current recruitment procedure it is for the national court to assess whether the link with access to employment is not hypothetical In the light of the status and capacity of the person who made the statements, the nature, content and context of the statements, as well as the extent to which such statements might discourage persons belonging to the protected group from applying for employment with the employer. The prohibition under Articles 2 and 3 of the Directive of statements that amount to direct discrimination in relation to access to employment cannot be considered to be an interference with the freedom of expression. Articles 8 1 and 9 2 of the directive permit national legislation giving associations with a legitimate interest standing to bring proceedings for the enforcement of the obligations if there is an absence of an identifiable victim and it is down to the national law to lay down the criteria to determine whether an association has such a legitimate interest an association that has a legitimate interest in bringing proceedings may ask for discriminatory conduct to be sanctioned in an effective proportionate and dissuasive manner, including an award of damages under the conditions laid down by national law. So those were the answers to the questions posed by the Supreme Court, who now have to go back and consider within the context of national law in Italy, whether there is a link with access to employment um, and the nature of what NH said and the context. Now, I can't recall a similar case in the UK. But given what has been said in this case, it is possible 
that in future, organisations promoting the rights of certain groups and protected characteristics could seek to enforce discrimination legislation against individuals who make such comments publicly. And this is particularly important in relation to social media and the world of you know, viral content and the speed at which things spread these days. It's really interesting because I was recently at the Solicitors Regulation Authority Conference for um, compliance and compliance officers. And the reason for the conference is to update us, but also because there are new rules and regulations coming out about how solicitors are governed. And one of the things that was discussed was about solicitors' conduct in a private capacity on such things as social media. And as a regulatory body, they would take action if a solicitor does something on social media in their private time, which could bring the profession into disrepute. And so it doesn't seem too dissimilar from from this sort of situation. I'm sure certainly it would fall under the conduct rules here if a English lawyer were to say such a thing publicly. Um, so it, it it's possible that in future, organisations or groups could take action um, and certainly governing bodies will be looking at things that lawyers say on social media in future. I would be really interested to hear what your thoughts are on this and whether you fall in the side of the European court here in thinking that this is a case where the individual should have being brought to task over what he said on a radio station about an employment situation that hasn't arisen yet. I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say and what you think. So do always drop me an email, leave a comment on the website or on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. And of course, if you have any questions about it, or if you think, Alison, I didn't understand that, what were you talking about? Um, please do get in touch and I'll be happy to discuss with you further. Once again, my email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening to this week's podcast. I really hope that you found it enjoyable and you found the case as interesting as I did. Just before I go, I have a final note, and that is to say we are looking to recruit a solicitor based in Portsmouth or in the the Hampshire area preferably and if you know of anyone or you yourself might be interested coming to work for a really progressive and fun law firm then do get in touch with me I'd love to hear from you and equally if you are um, an employment solicitor and you're listening anywhere else in the UK and you'd like a different way of working then again please do get in touch we're always looking to hear from great people as we expand the business and begin to work with more customers. Thanks very much for listening and have a fantastic week. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.